Father, there are many people who profess to have power. And they're exercising it in noisy ways all over this world. And we tend to be intimidated because they seem that they are in control, that somehow everything's out of control in our world. But we know that there's no rival, there's no equal to the, to the power and the person of Jesus Christ. We know that at every, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And these people that declare we're heading to some kind of great reset, one world government, they have no power except Jesus. And I pray, God, that we would focus our minds and our hearts on Jesus. You keep us in peace whose minds are, are fixed on you. And I pray that you will help us to take our eyes and minds off of all those things and focus on you. Father, we live in a just a crazy time. And we don't seem to make sense of it, but ultimately we know that you are in control. There's no rival, there's no equal, there's no one. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I pray that as we refocus our attention today, that we, not that we live in, in oblivion or unaware of what's happening in our world, but that we realize that behind it all, Jesus, you are in control. And in that, you give us confidence, you give us peace, and you will give us joy in the middle of all this. Father, I pray that as we've been reminded today by worship, we've all worshiped you and elevated you as Jesus, King of Lords, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I just pray now that you would take the word of God. This, this is not ordinary. This is God's word. Let nothing in me get in the way of what you want us to, to say to us today from your word. And we thank you and praise you because we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. It is crazy out there. I know you guys notice it too. But we, we must focus. Can you pull me down just a bit? Must focus on who's in control. We're moving into a series on prayer. True or false, it's popular to pray. True or false, the results of prayer can be measured with any ordinary barometer. People are honored and given awards for praying. True or false, praying is easy. Prayer is the latest fad. Anybody, anybody can pray. People today are not jumping on the bandwagon by the thousands, the hundreds, or even the tens to pray. To meet early in the morning to pray, or to pray late at night, or to pray all night, to fast and pray during a mealtime. People are not standing in line to get into an all-night prayer meeting. Prayer is not the most popular thing. It's not the new trend. Everybody is not doing it. Can you imagine your teenage son or daughter coming home from youth group and asking if they can go to an all-night prayer meeting? And you say, no. 
And they respond, but mom, everybody's doing it. Can you imagine an award ceremony for prayer, for prayers? An award given for those most accomplished in prayer. The Calloused Knees Award. The longest prayer meeting. The most valuable intercessor. The best prayer duo. Or the Prayer Pigeon Awards. I made that up. Do we do that? No. Why not? There's no way really to measure prayer, its power, or its results. There's no scientific way to quantify measurable accomplishment. Answers to prayer? Oh, yes. Answers to prayer, we can say we've had answers to prayer. Can we measure it? No. Therefore, we don't give recognition. So for many, there's no motivation to pray. No remuneration, no recognition, no praying. No pay, no pray. There's a church in New York City called Brooklyn Tabernacle. Pastor Jim Simbla, he wrote Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, among other books. And on the staff, I don't know if they still do, but at, at one time in history, they had a full-time prayer pastor. A prayer pastor. Can you imagine the question? So, what do you do at Brooklyn Tabernacle? I pray. No, I, I mean, what kind of work do you do? I pray. Uh, what I mean is, what do you do for your ministry? I pray. But what else do you do full time? I pray. All you ever do is pray. Don't you do anything? Ah, doing prayer. One of the hallmarks of the life of Jesus Christ, whom we follow, was prayer. In Luke 6, 12, it says, One of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the whole night praying to God. A whole night? What did he talk about all night? How can you pray all night? Of course, Jesus was God, so he can do anything, right? Well, many times throughout the gospel record, we read about the prayer life of Jesus. A lot of all-nighters without coffee. His followers, called disciples, observed the importance of prayer in Jesus' life. So they asked him to teach, him, teach them how to pray. And Jesus gave them a model prayer as an example that we know as the Lord's Prayer. And Jesus answered their request, Lord, teach us to pray with a model prayer, part of the model prayer. Then he tells a story or a parable. And a parable illustrated story is an illustrated story that makes a point. And today we're not going to look at just the prayer a prayer, but we're going to look at the parable that Jesus told to illustrate his point. What is Jesus saying to them? And what is he saying to us about prayer? We're going to look at it in Luke 11. Luke, the 11th chapter, is on page 843 in the Bible in front of you. Luke 11, we've had some technical issues this morning. I don't know if they're fixed or not, but if they are, it'll be on the PowerPoint. Otherwise, you'll have to listen or read from the text. Luke 11, starting with verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place 
When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend. And he goes to him at midnight and says, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds and to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if you, your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. We're going to look at, as much as we can today, principles of answered prayer. Principles of answered prayer. These are principles to follow as we approach God to ask him to do something for us or as we pray on behalf of someone else. God does want us to ask him to do things. Now, the first principle is right relationship. Right relationship. He says, suppose one of you has a friend. There's a, there's a friendship or relationship between these two characters. They're not strangers. There's a relationship between the one who asks and the one who gives. Now, if you, if you go into, we don't have this as much in Eau Claire, but in, in bigger cities, if you go out and walk on the streets of the city, you will find people who place themselves at freeway exit ramps or stoplights, busy intersections, driveways into and out of retail establishments. They'll do something that's called panhandling. They almost always have some kind of a primitive cardboard sign. They're there to raise money. Um, I saw a report a few years back on, uh, I know it's true because it was on TV news, but there was... There was a guy in New York City, he lived in the suburbs, and he would take the train in every day and panhandle. That was his job. He'd go in and he'd panhandle for money. And he would work three to four hours a day, Monday through Friday, took the weekends off. He made so much money, he would spend vacation time in Florida during the winter. But he would panhandle and just ask people for money. Well, when you see somebody panhandling, what do you do? I mean, there are some real needs out there. No question about it. But what do you know about the person asking for help? Do you have a relationship with that person? Are you going to give them something? Are you going to honor the request? Or you ask, am I being taken? Is this really a, a significant need that I need to fill? Many times the needs are genuine, but you don't know because you have no relationship with the person that's on the street. They're just asking you for help. Now contrast that with a friend or family member 
that has recently been laid off or had a health crisis, and they request help. How do you respond? It's a totally different thing because you know them. You have a relationship with them. It helps to have a relationship with God when we're asking him to do something for us. In fact, God has not promised to answer the prayer of someone who has no relationship with him, except God be merciful to me, forgive me my sins, become my Lord and Savior. That's the beginning of having a relationship with God. Without that relationship, prayers just go. The prerequisite to answer prayer is to actually have a relationship with God. And not just a relationship, but a a right relationship. A right relationship. James 5.16 says, The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Righteous means being in a right relationship with God. So if you have a right relationship with God, your prayers are powerful and effective. 1 Peter 3.7, it speaks to husbands about living in right relationship with their wife and thus with God. And it reads this. It says, Husbands in the same way be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Ah. See, a fractured relationship with God or a fractured relationship with someone else, a husband or wife or brother or sister in Christ, will actually hinder your prayer life. A right relationship with God necessitates a right relationship with others as well. That's the role of forgiveness, a right relationship. That doesn't mean we have to be perfect, okay? None of us are going to be perfect when we start our prayer. We're not perfect. Or none of us could expect answers to prayer. We're forgiven and we're open and honest. A right relationship with God and with people. Right relationship. The second principle is real need. Real need. Back to our story, we find a genuine, real need. Now, in the Middle East and Bible times, when you traveled, you didn't just stop at the Holiday Inn or Best Western, bed and breakfast, or reserve an Airbnb. They didn't have those. You stopped at a friend's house. It was a lot cheaper, just so you know. Stopped at a friend's house. And in this culture that Jesus was talking to, if anyone came to your house at any time, it was an unpardonable lack of friendship and hospitality to fail to offer a meal. It was just, oh, good to see you. Come on in. I'll give you something to eat. These were small villages. They didn't have shops. They didn't have restaurants. They didn't have grocery stores, 7-Elevens, quick trips. I don't know why they didn't have quick trips. I mean, that's it's almost a... Never mind. I'll go into that. These people probably baked bread once a day in the morning. And this particular guy was out of bread. Okay? He had no more bread. But this man's request arises from a real, genuine need. And when we pray to God, we come with real needs, something that we cannot do on our own or something we cannot supply. And it's important that we understand that, that we have needs, that other people have needs. In, in, in his letter to the churches in Revelation, John writes to a people who saw no need. They didn't think they had any needs. In Revelation 3.17, it says, You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. One of the reasons the church today, and I'm talking about the body of Christ at large, lacks passion and power in prayer and answered prayer because we're getting along just fine. We're self-sufficient. We have no needs. If we can do it, then we don't need God. Okay? Why would you need God if you, can, if you can do it? Why do you need God? If our finances are flush and we can pay all our bills, we don't need God. One writer says the actual mission of many churches is pay the bills. If you can pay the bills, everything's fine. It's good to pay your bills, but that doesn't mean we don't have needs. As long as we can pay the bills, we must be doing okay. We don't need God. And don't get radical with prayer. I mean, we're, we're doing fine. We act as if we need nothing, then we wonder why we have no answers to prayer. We must be aware of real need. The third principle of answered prayer is right motives. Right motives. This man came to his friend with a request for someone else. It was a selfless request, not for his benefit, but for the benefit of his friend. And really, that's the definition of intercessory prayer. Intercessory is made up of two words, intercedere, moving between, prayer on behalf of someone else, praying for someone else. Now, you might say, what's the big deal here? It's late at night, somebody rings your doorbell, you get up, put on your robe, go to the door, and answer it, you know, right in the middle of the night. Well, looking again at the culture in which this story was told, what was it like back then? It wasn't that simple. This was probably an average family. The average family had a one-room house. One room. At the end of one house, typically, was a raised platform where the family lived and they slept. At night, they would actually bring the cattle and sheep into the house on the ground floor to spend the night. Okay? they bring them in. So you're, you're up here sleeping and you bring the cattle in to sleep. Now, did a couple of things, kept the animals safe, and it also warmed the home with their, with their bodies, kept the house warm. Then they barred the door. And if it had been dark midnight, now, we're used to street lights and we're used to electric lights, etc. By midnight, they, see, they, they went to bed at sundown, okay? They, daylight savings time, all that, nothing, that was nothing. But basically, they went to, to bed at sundown. So by the time this guy came, it was, it was midnight. They'd been asleep for hours. They were in the middle of the, what, the third REM cycle, or I don't know what they were. They were in a REM cycle. They didn't have electricity or light switches. Getting up was, in the middle of the night, was very disruptive, doing that in the dark, to sleeping children and animals. And so the guy knocks, and, and his, his friend says, don't bother me, the door's already locked. My children are in bed, I can't get up and give you anything. Don't bother him saying, I'm not willing to get up. Quit bothering me. But his friend wasn't asking for himself, he was asking for someone else. This doesn't mean we can't ask for things for ourselves when we pray. But examine the motives. Is this just for me or someone else? James 4, 2 to 3 says, You do not have because you do not ask, or to ask. When you do ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. What are our motives when we pray? 
I mean, there, this gets into, into the heart of all kinds of things. We pray and ask God, what, what are my motives? Is it for myself? Is it for my selfish pleasures? Or is it for someone else? If it's for yourself having a real need, people see and say, look what God did. It points to and glorifies God. Not just selfish pleasure, but real needs. So we have real needs, real mo right motives, and a request for someone else's need. The fourth principle in prayer is something called boldness. Boldness. Verse 8 says, I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. Wow. In the message, it says it this way. But let me tell you, even if you won't get up because he's a friend, if you stand your ground knocking and waking up all the neighbors, he'll finally get up and get you whatever you need. Okay. That's another way to put it. His boldness. He was bold. He wasn't going to give up. He wasn't going to be put out by one no. It was shameless without apology. Are we timid or ashamed to ask God for something? What gives us boldness when we pray? What gives us boldness? What gives us the confidence that we can persist to keep asking? If I'm going to ask my neighbor for something, I have to know them well. I have to be convinced that they care about my needs. You have a neighbor, you need to ask him for something. You need to know that they care about your needs. Maybe you need to borrow a lawnmower, a snowblower, a ladder, a wheelbarrow, whatever it is. We had very good friends living in Seattle next door to our house. And in fact, we, we saw them a couple weeks ago. And one day, um, he, uh, Steve, Steve had a water ski boat. So our neighbor had a water ski. And one day he asked if I wanted to buy his boat. It's my neighbor. And I answered him this. I said, why would I want to buy a boat when my neighbor has one? That's shameless. I know. It's bold. He still has that boat, by the way. I saw it in his garage. But we have a great relationship. Because you have a relationship with somebody, you can be bold in your request and when you ask. When we have a great relationship with God, walk close to him, know his heart, he knows ours, we can be shamelessly bold in our request. Don't feel foolish. Don't apologize. Ask with boldness. God is our Father and desires to answer. Have courage to ask with boldness. This guy's reasons were not selfish, but bold. How badly do you desire an answer from God? And the fifth principle of answer prayer is persistence. Persistence. Verses 9 to 10 said, says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. In this parable, the first answer is what? No. <laughs> he asked them, he brought a request. What was, the first, what was the first answer? No. He said no. But persistence won the day. Boldness and persistence matter. In Luke 18, there's a story. I won't read it. It's about a woman who needs to have something settled in court. She goes to the judge. The judge says, get out of here. I don't want to deal with this. And he goes back. She goes back day and day and day. Finally, the judge says, 
I'm going to answer her and find justice for her, yet lest she wear me out. You know, it was persistence was the whole idea. She kept going back, persistent in prayer. And persistence is equated with faith, with faith. And at the end of that, that story, it says, will God find faith on the earth? Does God see us? Do we have enough faith to be persistent with God? A young couple in our church in Lakewood, Washington, had one child. And following her delivery, she had complications. And she and her husband were told by the doctor they could never conceive or have another baby. He said, with all the complications, you need to be happy with just one healthy baby. Or for two years, two years, she prayed. They were not convinced. They were not satisfied. And her name was Kitty, and she came forward for prayer almost every Sunday, two years, for two years. Her prayer was to have another baby. For two years she prayed. Some would have said, you prayed, God knows, let him alone. Okay, he knows. But Kitty was persistent. And our prayer team joined with her prayer and faith. I'll never forget. Never forget the day that Kitty bounded into the office with the news. She had waited until they were sure and answered a persistent, bold prayer. She was pregnant. The impossible became possible. The unreal became real. Several months later, she and her husband, Ron, had a healthy baby girl. Persistence. It's not that God's unwilling or reluctant father needing to be coerced into answering prayers. The context makes it clear that he's eager to give and to answer prayer. But if we don't want what we're asking for enough to be shameless and bold and persistent, demonstrating an unshakable faith, we don't want it very bad. How badly do we want the answer to prayer? This parable is not to show the hesitance or unwillingness of God, but to show how impossible it is even for a human being to refuse anything his friend needs if he's persistent. If an imperfect human will respond, how much more will God respond and answer our prayers? Why is it so hard for us to believe this and find time to pray? We misunderstand the person of God, and we, we think of God as this reluctant neighbor, that our prayer is an effort to overcome God's reluctance. I come to God in prayer, and I imagine him saying, Oh, no, here comes Mark again. Who does he think I am, God? I mean, that's kind of what we do. Oh, no, I, I can't bring this to God again because I, I've been praying forever. God wants to hear and answer our prayers. He wants to give. So what does Jesus say? Ask. Ask is the act of praying, making our concerns known. Ask and keep asking. There's a, it's a continuous, lineal, ongoing action. I shared with you about 
our daughters who prayed for their Uncle Carl for years, and Brianna was in fourth grade, and they'd have a prayer time at, at school every morning. It was Christian school, and she would ask for prayer that Uncle Carl would come to faith in Jesus. Okay? Next day, pray for Uncle Carl. Pray. Finally, the teacher said, you know, we, we prayed for Uncle Carl yesterday. And Brianna said, but he's not saved yet. Keep asking. Judy led Carl to Jesus three months before he went to be home with the Lord from cancer. She got to see. And we'll see him again. And we know that Judy's mom was a prayer warrior who prayed and prayed and prayed for Carl. And his wife, Lorna, came to Christ. Continuous. There's a role of expectancy. Then there's the word seek. Seek with the objective of finding or obtaining. Seek and keep on seeking. It's ongoing lineal action. It's not just once. It's not just one time. It's continuous. Seeking might be a time of processing and seeking God's will in his perfect timing. Seeking God's will, seeking God's face, seeking a closer relationship with him. There was a young college student who we'll call Joan who wanted very badly to change and transfer to another college. She was uncomfortable in her college and she wanted to make a change to another college. So she tried everything in her power to transfer to another college and God closed all the doors. And she was so frustrated because she prayed. She knew it was God's will for her to go to this other college. And she gritted her teeth and she decided to stay one more quarter. And meanwhile, she did what we all do. She berated God for not answering her prayer. So we do. Two months later, still stuck at the same college, she met the love of her life who was to be her future husband. Wow. Have you ever prayed for something and later were glad that God didn't answer? I have. It wasn't his will. Seek has the idea of seeking God's will, seeking God's timing, and seeking God's plan. The one thing I am so convinced is that God is a God of timing. God is a God of timing. And he knows exactly, exactly when the prayer needs to be answered, exactly how it needs to be answered. Persistence says seek and keep seeking. Believe God that in his sovereignty he will answer in the right time. Persistence. Then there's the word knock. Knock and keep knocking. All three of these verbs are lineal actions. They're ongoing actions. I've asked God. I'm seeking God. I'm knocking. What do you expect when you knock on a door? What do you expect when you knock on a door? I, I expect an answer. I expect somebody to come to the door and open the door. I have expectancy. I expect the door will be opened, usually soon, sometimes it doesn't. But there's the sense here of expectancy. Expect God, expect Jesus, expect answers. Ask, seek, and knock, and keep knocking. All three of these descriptions of persistence carry two ideas. Certainty, it will happen, and future, it will happen in the future. 
There's certainty and future. We don't like those. We like just certainty. <laughs> this, all of these are certainty and future. It's a combination. What have you been praying for for a long time? Ask that your request be known. Seek God's will and his timing and knock. Expect an answer. Very quickly, we have some promises of answered prayer. In verse 10, verse 10, everyone who asks receive, he who seeks find to him and knocks the door will be open. Persistence, God will answer. God knows what we need and anticipates our prayers before we ask. What is the purpose of prayer then? God wants us to ask so he can give us the gift. In 11 to 13, he talks about which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give us the Holy Spirit. What or who is the Holy Spirit? It's, it's God himself. God himself. When Jesus was here on earth, he as God chose to limit himself to one physical location. It was his body. But after his death and resurrection, he went back to heaven and was glorified. Then he sent himself back to earth by his spirit, the Holy Spirit, to live not in the temple or physical being, building, but in physical beings in people. I don't think we really understand the difference between B.C. and A.D. The fact that God would actually reside inside us, take up residence. He says, I will write my laws on your heart. I will transform you. I will indwell you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's in, in, in Paul's Corinthians uh, chapters, he says, you are meaning the individuals as well as you all, the church, the temple of the Holy Spirit. First Corinthians six nineteen says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? God wants to live in us, be at home in us, and then God will answer the second promise. God will give us himself. God's utmost desire is to give us himself, his very nature, his person. More than all the prayers we ask for, the things, the solutions to problems, help from God. God wants us to have more of him. More of him. The ultimate purpose of prayer, the ultimate promise of prayer, is to be filled with God in an intimate relationship. See, the purpose of our life is not to accumulate possessions, to live a good life, to live in good health, to have plenty of money, to have an easy life, to have a fulfilling occupation, to have a great family. The ultimate purpose of our life is to be filled with God. We pray for problems, people, health, money, cars, and houses. And God answers prayers for all that. But he really wants to give us himself, 
himself. What if your kids all what if your kids wanted you to give them things all their life, take care of all their toy needs, emotional needs, pay their college tuition, but wanted nothing to you with personally, no relationship? What would that be like in relationship? God desires relationship with you. That's what prayer is about. May our request be, Lord, teach me to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us these guidelines of prayer. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would again connect us consciously to you in a new way today. And that as we connect with you and we are filled with you by your Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, that, that God, our lives would be transformed. Father, we desperately need you, and I just pray that we would see that need for you, for you first of all. And we know that as, as we reach out to you, you hear from heaven and you give us what's needed. You answer our prayer. And so I just pray, God, today that you would accomplish that in our lives today. In Jesus' name, let's stand, shall we?